Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me, as always, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm, <laughs> at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitterses, if you can get the Twitterses to work. <laughs> yeah. been, have you been able to uh, get the Twitterses to work? I've been having a hell of a time with that. I, I haven't. I got a notice that I was only going to be able to... Uh, to tweet 6,000 times a day. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I've done 115,000 tweets since 2008. So that's, uh, well, I don't know what that is, but it's, uh, I'm never going to do a 6,000 a day. Well, I think it's that you can read 6,000 and they bumped it up to 10,000. Um, if, oh, you're, if you're a good. paying subscriber, you can read 10,000 tweets in a day. If you are not, you can read a thousand tweets in a day. And um, I was telling this to family members and they said, so what they're telling you is that <laughs> you should get a life. Are you kidding me? You need to read more than 10,000 tweets in a day. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And I mean, the, the only reason why it's been a problem for me is because they broke tweet deck. <laughs> Oh, um, and I use TweetDeck, but whatever they did, it absolutely broke it. I mean, I wasn't seeing anything. I could see the, I could see the direct messages. I could see the DMs, but that was it. That was the only thing I could see on TweetDeck. And uh, finally, I looked it up, and there was a beta version of TweetDeck that they were going to roll out later. That uh, that does work, so I've managed to figure out how to access that. But oh, I mean, geez. the app worked fine for me. You know, if I if I use just the web page. It worked fine for me. I didn't have any problems with it except for TweetDeck. And that's how I use it most of these through TweetDeck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never could figure that out, but I'm old. Well, I mean, I almost feel old talking about TweetDeck because that was like one of the original interfaces for it. And they've gone beyond that. And for a while, they were talking about not even updating it. And then they that caused a stink. So they decided they were going to continue to keep it updated. But um but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's hardly the end of civilization as we know it. Right. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. These are our first world problems. Yeah. I'm not even sure they're first world problems. I think they're virtual problems. They're problems we create for ourselves, but a lot of people are really annoyed by this. I don't, and I don't, I don't blame them. It's annoying because it's, an, it's an interruption of a previous, you know, yeah. Tech, tech is wonderful until it isn't, you know. Oh, my gosh. You know what else is wonderful until it isn't is media. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm a Supreme Court geek, and I, I admit this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a Supreme Court geek. I am not an attorney, but I've been. But you did stay at a Holiday Inn. I did a couple of times. So I think I've got an advanced Juris Doctorate because I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express a couple of times. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I read, you know, as a kid, I used to read case law because I just thought the stories were interesting. Right. And that's my mother wanted me to become an attorney and I didn't do that. Uh, my colleges wanted me to go to class. I didn't do that either. So, you know, it's one of those, <laughs> but, um, but I've always been interested in the law and, and, you know, I, part of my job when I'm doing these analyses is looking up statutes. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you're one of the best at that. So but I get that most people aren't right. Most people don't really get into to that level. And I, and I understand why I'm kind of a geek and I get that, 
So, you know, I'm the kind of geek that, you know, the last week of the Supreme Court term, I've got a list of cases that haven't been decided yet. I'm trying to decide who's going to write what opinion based on the sittings and stuff like that. I mean, it's so I, I get that I have a deeper level of interest than most people. But, you know, when media is reporting, media are reporting <laughs> on these decisions, I do have sort of a threshold expectation that they will have at least have read <laughs> the opinion to determine what was in it before they start reporting on it. And I mean, in both- And, and reacting and denouncing it. Yeah, exactly. Both both of the major decisions that came down Friday. I mean, just the media was terrible on these things. The affirmative action case was, um, the reporting on the affirmative action case was bad. The one on 303 Creative was flat out false. I mean, the reporting on this was false. They were reporting that the Supreme Court had ruled that businesses can um, uh, refuse to uh, serve LGBTQ plus plus IA, you know, individuals, which was not at all <laughs> what the decision was about. And in fact, in the decision was very clear that this wasn't about access. It was about custom expressive messaging. And that was what was at issue in Masterpiece Cake Shop. It's what was, you know, it's somewhat less actually uh, uh, of um, at stake in the Baronel Stutzman um, florist case, um, but um, but certainly was in 303 Creative and Masterpiece Cake Shop. And the ruling was, and it was 6-3, that the state cannot force businesses to create custom expressive messages for events that violate the business owner's religious beliefs. Now, if, if, the, if, if, the, if the business owner wants to do it anyway, even though it's not part of their beliefs, that's fine. There's nothing that keeps them from doing that. But this is just saying, look, if you're going to go to a, in this case, a website designer and ask them to create a custom website for you that extols same-sex marriage when they don't believe in it, the, the website designer has the right to say, I'm not interested in doing that. There are other website designers that you can find to do it. Yeah, and who who would want a website designer who doesn't like what you're doing? Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the truth is that most of the cases that are coming up here are the result of activists who are specifically trying to find Christian business owners to try to um, punish them for being in the marketplace. That was true of, that, that's very true of Jack Phillips in Masterpiece Cake Shop. It actually wasn't the case in this one. And this is the this was the really interesting part too, that the media also screwed. So in 303 Creative, the business owner had created the business, but even before she took a single client, sued the state of Colorado over the enforcement of these of their interpretation of public accommodation laws, saying that as soon as somebody asks me to do this, these guys are going to be on me like, you know, stink on crap, right? Flies on white rice, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, and in district court, the lawsuit was dismissed for lack of standing because they said, well, you haven't actually suffered an injury yet. She appealed that, went to the 10th Circuit, and the 10th Circuit, looking at Colorado's track record, said, no, you've got a point. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before you end up uh, getting getting hammered by this, but didn't agree with her reasoning. 
And that's when it was appealed to the Supreme Court. So the other thing from the media was, all this is made up. All this is made up. It's, this is a made up case. She made up the case. It never should have been in front of the Supreme Court. <laughs> to which I said, did you guys read the opinion? Yeah. <laughs> did you read the part about standing? And I mean, Andrew, and this is my big gripe here. Nobody's reading these things before they start reporting on them. It's, it's like one person says something that everybody else jumps on whatever that one person said, rather than just go to the source material, which is published immediately and available yeah. to yeah, it's very unprofessional, but I guess we should have come to expect that these days. Yeah, but why? <laughs> why should we expect that? I mean, that's well, the thing. I, I know I'm I'm I know I'm being a big crybaby because I No, still... it's not. No, no, you're a you're a among other things, you're a consumer of news and you have a right to expect, especially if you're a subscriber, even at discount rates. <laughs> to website, <laughs> to website, you have a right to expect that they're being professional, and they're not. They're not doing a thorough job, and it's it's pathetic. But I, the responsibility with all these sources online has fallen to the to the news consumer. But I don't think Americans are inclined. They they see something, it agrees with them. And by golly, they're off to the races. They're not going to go read the source material either. It's sad. It is sad. And, you know, and it's not every single media outlet. There, there were a couple of media outlets that got this right. But CNN, for instance, got it very wrong <laughs> and continued to keep getting it wrong. Axios got it wrong. And um, CBS, their social media person got it wrong. And I made the mistake of assuming that that was what was in the report. The reporter actually contacted me and said, hey, look, I got it right. They just didn't do the tweet right. Can, you know, you should, you should be aware of that. So I deleted the tweet and reframed it so that, you know, and I said, hey, I got this wrong. The reporter actually reported it correctly. Their social media person is the problem here, but it's still CBS News. I mean, I, I, I didn't even actually mention the reporter in the original tweet. Um, but I mean, Axios was, you know, their headline and their article was uh, basically they took the line from the dissent. And this is the reason why it kept showing up. Sonia Sotomayor in the dissent wrote that for the first time ever, the Supreme Court is saying that you don't, that, that businesses don't have to serve people of protected classes. And which wasn't true. I mean, it really, honestly, in both cases, the, the dissent is so intellectually vapid as to boggle the mind. Um, and um, especially, I think, in the affirmative action case, where Clarence Thomas ended up just ripping the shreds out of Katanji Brown Jackson and Sonia Sotomayor on, uh, on you know, the history of, of uh, oppression. And... Um, but I mean, it, it, the majority made it clear that, that wasn't the case. The majority made it very clear in the opinion that what they were doing wasn't touching any other public accommodation laws, but public accommodation laws that that forced people to do to perform custom expressive content um, were unconstitutional. I, I mean, it, it, if you look at the First Amendment, it's pretty clear. You know? Yes. <laughs> the state can't force you to, to have a certain type of speech. Um, so yeah, 
there was no nuance in this though. And the whole thing was, um, I don't know. It was, it, it was, it was a real cluster fark as far as the media coverage of this was. And it, I mean, it does a disservice to the public debate too. Of course it does. I, it's, it's disgusting. And it, it, like corrections in newspapers, it, it, the mistakes, the corrections, if they made them will never catch up. So thousands, if not millions of people are walking around with the wrong impression. And you can't undo that. It, it's, it's tragic is what it is for our society if you're going to have the honest debates on, on facts, not misinterpretations. Right, exactly. Because you can't have a public debate on facts if you don't have the facts, if, if media outlets don't provide the facts. Now, the nice thing is, is that most of us have figured out how to get around that, right? I don't rely on media outlets to describe Supreme Court uh, decisions or to interpret them for me. I just go to the Supreme Court website and read the, you know, and read the opinion because it's, again, it's there, it's free. You don't even have to subscribe. There's no such thing as a Supreme Court VIP member, but you know, if there was, <laughs> you would be one. I would be, I would, I might be, I might be the number one uh, Supreme Court VIP subscriber, actually, but you know, uh, um, I'm on that website a lot. <laughs> but it's free. It's from the government. It's all free. It's easy to find. You can go back and take a look through all of the case materials too. It's tell us, tell us, Ed, what is the Supreme Court website? Scotus one.gov. Just a very simple Supreme Court.gov. And uh, and it is the best of the federal judiciary websites in that regard, because the rest of them are really inconsistent as to how much information you can actually get. Um, you know, some of them are, some of them will, will let you find opinions. Um, the appellate ones, I think are fairly consistent on that, but the districts are not. And you have to subscribe to, uh, it's not find law. I can't think of the name of it now. There's a, subscription service that you have to pay through the nose to get so you can get to the information at the district level in most cases and you know some of those opinions matter and you can't get to them and that's when you have to rely on reporters who have access to things like nexus and uh, it's not find law i can't think of the i can't think of the name of it right now um that's okay i didn't ask <laughs> I told you I was a geek, Andrew. <laughs> I said, I'm a geek. I'm a geek. This is me proving I'm a geek. Now you're going to tell us you're a vegan. No, no, I will. I will. I, I bought a smoker and a, and a Solaire grill. So <laughs> I'd be the world's worst vegan if, if that was the case. No, that's, that's not me. Yeah. Um, but, um, in fact, we I had um, I did my smoked salmon on my in my smoker. Oh, jeez! How long do those things have to smoke? Well, the salmon's relatively quick. I mean, basically, you're baking it is what you're doing with uh, with the smoker because it's not it's not a low temperature. It's three twenty five, and it goes for about forty five fifty minutes or so before it gets to oh. the right temperature. Um, but I mean, if you're talking like ribs. You're talking five, six hours in there. If you're talking brisket, you're talking more like about 10 or 12 or 13 hours in there. Wow. Because it's got to be low and slow. And uh, man, it comes out great. But 
it's a commitment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So you get smoke from wood, right? Yep. Wood, well, I, I got a Traeger, right? So it's wood pellets. So, but if you do it traditionally, you get one of those big cylinders out there and you get your own wood. You can buy pellets, but you can just buy regular wood too, whatever wood it is that you're looking to use. And then you got to be out there stoking it and making sure the temperature's right and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think I'll just go to Tony Roma's. <laughs> it's a good decision. Um, you don't save money, by the way. I should, I should, I should. Make <laughs> You don't save money when you when you buy your own smoker. You're basically this is basically an expensive hobby to have, but it's a it's a delicious hobby. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. delicious. Um one more topic before we get to your column too. Just because I found it very interesting. You know, because we we tend to talk a lot about how badly media performs. I do want to point out one instance where I think that the um a media outlet, one that conservatives generally don't like, did an excellent job. And I don't know if you've seen this yet or not, but the New Yorker has an, a very long in-depth report on what happened with Ocean Gate's Titan submersible. Mm -hmm. uh, ben Taub is a, um, he won a Pulitzer Prize a few years ago for some other reporting he did at the, at the New Yorker. And this is about, I, I would guess, five to 6,000 words. And it's an amazingly good um, an amazingly um, impactful report on what happened. And I mean, this guy did it right. He talked to the people who were involved. He talked to the people who were around the people who were involved. There is a whole lot of stuff that was going on, most of it not good, <laughs> uh, with Stockton Rush and Ocean Gate, which we all kind of suspected, right? And the reason why nobody was talking about it publicly was because this guy was bullying people he was using his wealth to you know to bully people into silence by threatening them with basically legal demolition if they talked about the stuff that they knew Jeez. Uh, i mean it's yeah i mean you can, I, I highly recommend this and so while i'm bashing media i mean there there are times when the media does a really yes that's job. true it's so necessary the new york times did a piece i think it was last month uh on you remember that town was it baku or that town where all the atrocities occurred early on in the ukraine war um bakhmut, bakhmut yes no not bakhmut it was the one near near kiev it was um but it began with b i forget what it was oh, anyway but yeah but go ahead yeah yeah so anyway they did uh the most amazing, and I say this without qualification, the most amazing reporting job I have ever seen. They had a, a whole crew. They got from videos, citizen videos and local videos, pictures of the men involved in these atrocities mm -hmm. and their names. And they got the cell phone and the cell phone records of the shooting victims that the shooters stole the phones from and they tracked down the calls and called the families now, these are families in russia and oh my god it was just so full of well incriminating but painful personal details and they had videos 
that citizens had taken through their windows of beatings of citizens and so on. And, you know, I suppose nothing will happen to the criminals who, uh, who did this, but uh, it was just stunning where you say, how did they get this information? I mean, calling the families of soldiers uh, and yeah. interviewing them in Russian or whatever their language is about the atrocities that they performed. It's just, uh, I was in awe. So I recommend that. I don't, I don't know what the headline was, but uh, it shouldn't be hard to find. It was immense. And the LA, excuse me, the New York Times has always been pretty good in terms of foreign reporting. And That's right. That's why I subscribe is the foreign reporting. I, uh, full disclosure, I was on the foreign staff uh, for uh, a while. And uh, so I know how they run it. And it's, um, it's amazing as none of the biases that we've come to expect in the domestic coverage, po political or, or otherwise, it's just strict stuff. I mean, they have, they had a photographer in Bakhmut. They had uh, reporters uh, talking to the guys coming back from the lines. They, they, uh, they do it. And they had, um, uh, I don't know what their relationship is with the times, but they had Russians and Ukrainians working for them. So they had the language locked up. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, they are very good and it's worth the dollar a week or whatever they're offering now. Well, and I agree. I mean, that that part of the paper is valuable. And, and, and look, I'll, I'll give them credit for the other part of the paper, too. They were, as far as I know, the only major newspaper that reported on the study in the Journal of American, the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, which is the, you know, the medical journal in the United States on the study in Denmark on, you know, it was a 40 year study or study of 40 years, I should say, of outcomes on uh, transgenders. And the study determined that, uh, and it's a small number, which is interesting in and of itself because Denmark's famously progressive about this type of stuff. Um, but that there were, the suicide attempt rate in that population was seven times higher than it was in the general population. Wow. And, and, and this is among people who've successfully transitioned or are successfully transitioning because Denmark makes it very easy for them to do this, right? Uh, the other part of this was that 43% of the people who had transitioned had a psychiatric diagnosis that was, you know, correlated to this, or as the the population in general, only seven percent have a psychiatric diagnosis. So it's six oh. times higher for psychiatric diagnoses, right? And this, these are people who are, you know, they're not facing societal pressure or you know, uh, oppression or anything else like right. this. <laughs> you know, the other thing about Denmark too is. This gives you an idea of how much record keeping they do on everybody in Denmark, which is a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there aren't as many uh, uh, as there are three hundred and what thirty million Americans, but yeah, true enough. But and so there is some of that. I mean, that's certainly one reason why they're. But I mean, honestly, the level of record keeping on individuals in Denmark is more than just a little creepy. But it allows them to do stuff like this, right? And um, and. The New York Times, to its credit, reported it on this, and mostly straight, um, you know, no pun intended, mostly yeah. as a straight news report, 
they threw in a little kind of a curveball, maybe about in the middle of it, but it was only for about a paragraph that was suggesting that, you know, Republicans were arguing that suicide among transgenders doesn't exist, which is absolutely wrong. What we've been arguing is that the suicide rate among transgenders are is higher than it is for people who are, uh, you know, um, um, signaling Not. some sort of gender dysphoria, right? And, yeah. you know, because the, anyway, the argument from gender activists is, would you rather have a, a dead son or a live daughter or vice versa, right? And um, so this is very important. This is really one of the first at scale studies of outcomes. And it, it reinforces the fact that this isn't actually solving anything. People in this group are, are far more unhappy <laughs> even after transitioning than the rest of, you know, the population by yeah. significant yeah. factors. And know, the new my, oh. their credit credit reported it. Well, that's good. Uh, my, uh, my experience in Denmark, I spent uh, a while there and uh, I took a train once up to, I forget the town, but where uh, Macbeth's castle is supposed to be. Oh, wow. And I was walking around the town trying to find it. And I, of course, I don't speak Danish, but I did have my little dictionary. And it was a woman walking with a stroller and a baby, and she was walking along. And I walked up to her and, and tried with my Danish to ask where was Macbeth's castle. And she let me. But after a minute or two, she said in perfect English, what exactly are you trying to find? <laughs> would, would that be, or would that be Hamlet's castle? Yeah. Yeah, Hamlet. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Hamlet. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. But um, shut up, shut up, Morrissey. I don't need it. I'm a geek in more than one way, man. Yeah, I, I guess you are. are. I guess you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've, I've run into that before too. Where you know, when I was in. Well, I mean, at least it showed my sincerity in trying. I didn't expect them like so many do. I expect, well, of course, everyone speaks English or they're dumb. Right. Exactly. I'm sure, I'm sure she appreciated the fact that you were trying. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know about that. But uh, I, I did where this is funny. It's not on any subject, but I worked uh, as an apprentice reporter on a newspaper in Belgium for a while to right. to help learn French. And if you want to know about a sphincter tightening experience you have an you have an editor send you out to cover a murder in a in a brussels suburb with the police who don't speak english Ooh. but but anyway um uh so i was there for a while and and that so that's where i was learning a lot of french and then i was in paris and i was buying some clothing and the woman said to me in french when i was speaking french she said oh I know where you're from. And I thought, okay, you found me out. You're Belgian. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I took it as a cop. Well, obviously, all these years later, I remember it. But they do have uh, Belgian French has different ways of counting different words for numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is an accent, I guess, um, just as there is in, uh, in the U.S. People can say, you're not from here. Okay, so I'm going to tell you 
a, a story about French from from um, my earlier career. Okay. okay. Yes. Okay. And you will appreciate this. I know you will appreciate this because it involves Canada. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Yes. So I was working for a company that will not be named, but it was a pretty famous controls. It's a pretty famous controls company. And I worked in the Berg fire alarm section of this. And I had a friend of mine that worked on product development, right? And we were at a home show because we were developing uh, something. It was, it was like a home automation system that was primarily an alarm system, but would do some limited home automation stuff. And this is like, what would this have been? Something like um, 30 years ago, right? I mean, so it was pretty early on in this. So we're both at this home show. And it was a really nice product. I actually ended up having one in my house and I loved it. It worked great. Um, and, um, it had, I think either four or six different languages it could operate in, including French and the division president, our division president at the time, I forget what his name was. We called him Jean-Luc Picard. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't it, but I mean, uh, I'll, I'll use that. I'll use that name because that was sort of what, how we referred to him. Um, at the time, he wasn't really from our division. He kind of came over in a, you know, in a corporate move sort of thing. He didn't come up through our division. So and at that level, you don't really need to not necessarily have to do that anyway. So he was, he's French. He was from France, right? He was from this, from one of our other divisions in France. And he'd come over to take this over. So he shows up, he's at this home show and my friend is showing him the panel. I'm standing there while they're doing this, right? Cause I was helping him out just with some odds and ends, nothing heavy. And he's showing him this and this guy's, oh yeah, this is very nice, very nice, very nice. And he spoke perfect English too. So, I mean, he had a little bit of an accent, but he really spoke perfect English. <laughs> and my friend who was trying to impress him says, and by the way, you know, this you can operate this in whatever it was, either four or six different languages, including French. And so he changes it over to French, right? <laughs> And he starts going through some of the stuff and the the guy suddenly gets very offended. He says, this this is not French. This is Quebecois. Oh, Quebec. Yeah. And and he says, my friend says, I'm sorry, what? He says, this is not French. This is Quebecois. (laughs) Because also when he got excited, his his accent sort of picked up a little bit. And and, and, and I, I think my friend said something, well, it's French. They're both French, right? No, 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 no. This is Quebecois. And my friend was like, okay, but we're selling this in Canada. We're, this is a, we're, we're preparing to sell this in Canada. He says, oh, I understand that. And he says, but do not call this French. This is- <laughs> yeah, they're very, they're very protective of that. Um, Quebecois French is, uh, I mean, very distinctive. But it's it's um, um, what's the word? It's ancient French. It's it's the French that was going on when the French were in Quebec, which is still <laughs> French. Yeah, uh, it, it, ancient French and French is modernized, but they didn't modernize it in Quebec. So the words for uh, for uh, I'm making this up, but the words for table lamp are chandelier. And uh, and so if you were a Frenchman and you heard those words, you go, what? No, no, it's all it's distorted, but it's it's just old fashioned. That's what it is. It's like 
it's like an, an American speaking the English that was that was used here, you know, with all if you look at old newspapers where the S becomes an F and, and all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's nothing to do with the news, but it's interesting anyway, right, Ed? And that's what we're about is we're interesting gonna... teaching people things and learning them ourselves, like the difference between Macbeth and Hamlet. Or the difference between French and Québécois. Yeah. Here's the moral of the story. Don't introduce your brand new product to your to your uh, division president. Have have the <laughs> vice president do it instead. Uh, this is this is not the French. This is not French. This is Québécois, and he stomped off. He was not happy when he went. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, they would. The product and, and and my friend was doing a great job of, of demonstrating, and he just got he got into a huff and walked off, and we were both looking at. I, I, did we just both lose our jobs here? Or what? <laughs> we, didn't hear anything, we didn't hear anything about it later, but uh, yeah. yeah. I, okay. Before we get going to the jokes of the day, and I've got a joke of the day for you today. So do I. Okay, but uh, I got to talk about your got to talk about your VIP column and your Malcolm on the right. Got to start with Malcolm on the right because man, I love this title. Aging is better than the alternative, but then dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> Hell with ellipsis, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was looking at uh, the age of our, uh, of our. well, everyone's aging who isn't very, but uh, the age of our aging, aged politicians in Washington. And uh, oh my gosh, I don't know what the average age is, but it's decrepit. And, yep. you know, I mean, to make the point, it's not because Joe Biden is 80 that everyone is talking about his age. It's because of the impact of being 80 on Joe Biden. And it just shows you, you've got, I mean, Henry Kissinger is 100. And you, you talk to him and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like he's beyond 70 or 80. You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, uh, we need to differentiate what we're talking about here. But anyway, I was talking about the, the, the ancientness of our politicians in Washington. And uh, it's really kind of pathetic. Uh, people go, oh, we should have term limits. Well, number one, term limits will never happen because 37 states will never agree on a national pie, let alone, uh, let alone term limits. Uh, and um, so that's not gonna happen. And the only term limits come as it does with the internet. You put the responsibility on the voters. 80 or 90% of these clowns in Congress get reelected and they know they will be. So that's one reason why they don't pay attention to complaints from the heartland um, and the frustration that they create there that Trump tapped into. And there's all kinds of implications of this. So I had a lot of fun doing it and it's, you know, it's a short audio. So um, I hope people enjoy it. All right, so Russia, what Russia's Wagner revolt means for Putin, the U.S., and how it unfolded. And I mean, this is an interesting column because I was watching it happen, you know. Yeah, online. yeah, yeah, we all were. And I was stunned when when Prigozhin just sort of lost his nerve and bailed out to Belarus. I mean, the whole yeah. thing is very strange. The whole, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but the, to me, one of the most interesting parts of it is that we knew about it. You know, I mean, when I first started serving the Soviet Union and, and Soviet politics, 
uh, which, you know, it's not political, it's who's got the gun, but uh, it, it, the only, basically, the only way we had of reading what was going on in the Kremlin was the lineup of these overweight guys in fur hats at a parade, and the big guy was on the right, and the number two was next to him, and so on. And when the number five moved up to number two, boy, you knew there was an earthquake going on inside the Kremlin. But these days, you have Putin going on television and giving a, a speech, I think it was 11 o'clock at night about the Wagner group and his former friend Prigozhin and um, arguing and Prigozhin spending months denouncing, very careful not to denounce Putin, but denouncing the military bureaucrats in Moscow, not funding his group and screwing up with the strategies and so on. I think, I think Prigozhin, uh, in short, uh, he realized that uh, the Russian army was not gonna join him so he only had like 10 or 12,000 guys with him moving up the road towards Moscow. So, you know, might as well take the deal. Uh, right. But uh, he should not be in a high rise and stay away from the windows and, <laughs> and don't drink tea that he hasn't made himself. Exactly. Yeah, you're uh, right. Boy, but it was fascinating to see the open revolt, the open dispute, the open arguing in a once closed society. It's a measure of how changed Russia is from its Soviet days, which ended in 1991. Um, and I think Putin would like to restore it, but he's just obviously not going to be able to. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the history of Ukraine and how it got its independence. This is one little aspect of it, but in um, 1991, the Soviet Union flopped, and so Ukraine got its independence. But I mean, it had Chernobyl for one thing, but it also it also had its own nuclear weapons. So in order to keep the nuclear weapon club from getting too big, Britain, United States, and Russia guaranteed. Uh, Ukraine's Soviet uh, um, territorial sovereignty as long as they gave up their weapons, which they did. And they're now floating around somewhere in Russia. Uh, and then, of course, what is it? 1994 to 2020 to Putin's invasion, <clears throat> he just decided, well, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to the Budapest Accord. Well, guess what? The West did the same thing to Omar or uh, to Gaddafi. Uh, he had nuclear weapons. We convinced him to give them up in 2002. Europe and the US agreed to protect its ter territorial sovereignty. But then 2011, Europe decided, oh, we, don't, we don't like him anymore. And so they asked Obama, who had just won the Nobel Peace Prize, <laughs> And he joined the, uh, the assault and ousting Gaddafi and Hillary Clinton's famous, we came, we saw, he died. Um, they found him hiding in a culvert and uh, a crowd uh, um, dismissed him. It, it, uh, it's, a, it's a good lesson in case anyone thinks that you, uh, Iran or North Korea is going to agree 
to any to anything if they give up their nuclear weapons because that's not going to happen and and if you're those countries you'd be silly to do it anyway there was there's so many facets to this story it was very difficult it took a long time to write to weave everything together uh, and to tie it into the U.S. and and to look at what might happen in the future and so on. And uh, the worst thing we could have uh, is uh, Russian factions, uh, a civil war in Russia, fighting over those nuclear weapons. And somebody wants to show how tough they are, and they'd attack the West um, or another faction. So. Uh, Ukraine's job is to uh, deplete Russian power. They've done a lot of that. There's more to be done. But I saw a Gallup poll that uh, a large majority of, the, of Americans support that. And I think that's good. So we don't have to get involved through NATO with fighting the next Putin invasion. I agree. I agree. Okay. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I'd rather that Russia just pull out, but. Um... Yeah, well, if do that, I'd, I'd rather see Ukraine degrade their ability to make uh, to, to make war and um, launch other, you know, imperial uh, wars. Well, special, special military operations. Ed. <laughs> the special military operation. Yeah. <laughs> I stand corrected. All right. <laughs> we got to get to the jokes of the week. Okay. What's yeah. yours? I'll let you go well, first. Okay. I've got a couple. Uh, one of them is, uh, um, these are old. Seth Meyers uh, saying the Harvard Law School this week unveiled a new redesigned logo. It's a mother telling her friends her son goes there. <laughs> and, and I've got, actually, I've got two more. And Myers, uh, old one, he says, Southwest Airline pilots are in a two-year wage dispute. The talks have been going on for so long that Group C is almost ready to board. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's long. Okay. That's a long time, yeah. Now, you do one, and I can close it with my last one. Well, I, mine's like a top 10 list. So oh, I, I got to just run all the way through it. So hold yours. All right. All right. All right. I'm going to do this David Letterman style. Oh, okay. Written, All right. Written All that right. way, but I'm going to do it David Letterman style. So, okay. you know, proper, proper homage to David Letterman, the top 10 things that you never hear in church. Number 10, <laughs> nothing inspires and strengthens my commitment like our annual stewardship drive. Number nine, <laughs> pastor, we'd like, you, we'd like to send you to this Bible seminar in the Bahamas. <laughs> eight, since we're all here, let's start the service early. <laughs> <laughs> number seven i love it when we sing hymns i've never heard of before uh number six forget the denominational minimum salary let's pay our pastor so he can live like we do <laughs> number five i volunteer to be the permanent teacher for the junior high sunday school class <laughs> my favorite one on the list. number four i've decided to give our church the 500 dollars a month i used to send tv evangelists <laughs> Number three, personally, I find witnessing much more enjoyable than golf. Number two, I was so enthralled, I never noticed that your sermon went 25 minutes over time. And the number one thing that you never hear in church, hey, it's my turn to sit in the front pew. <laughs> oh, I can hear Letterman doing that and Paul Schaefer playing the music. 
it might actually be an old Letterman thing, but it wasn't written that way. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I, I, you know, top ten list, you ha- you have to do it David Letterman style. You got to. Oh, that's off. right. That's right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, mine to close out um, is a the radio a transcript of a radio transmission, NASA, from the first woman on the moon, with Houston. And she says, Houston, we have a problem. Houston says, what? She says, never mind. What's the problem? Nothing. Please, please tell us. No, you know very well what the problem is. <laughs> if you don't know what the problem is, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, I'll be angry the rest of the evening. <laughs> Moon's going to be a very cold place. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Andrew Malcolm, as always, the prince of Twitter when Twitter exists and the regent of redstate.com at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitters is great doing this again with you. Yeah. We had a lot of fun today. That was good. Oh, yeah. Of course we did. And happy Independence Day. We're doing this the day before, but... uh, Same to you, and same to all of our Patriot listeners. Right. Next week, we can talk about Bastille Day. I'll try Uh, to look at... Oh, they're having having an early one there, aren't they? they Burning cars and driving them out of parking garages and crashing and... Maybe we should talk about Bastille Day today, but next week we can talk about Bastille Day. I'll see if I can find Joan Luke Picard and ask him how to say that in Cape Espoir. Anyway. (laughs) Andrew, welcome. Have a great week. We'll talk next time. Thank you, Ed. See you, everybody.